Please turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. We're looking at Paul's only major recorded speech to, to Christians in Acts, and we're looking at that over, over the course of, of several weeks. We started looking at it three weeks ago. Paul's trying to get to Jerusalem in time for Pentecost, and he's, he's got five weeks, and so he calls to the elders in Ephesus while he's in Miletus there in Western Asia, and he, he gives them this, this speech and helps us understand some things that we need to know about the office of elders. As we looked at three weeks ago, we see that, that elders are a team of shepherds, and words like pastor and elder and overseer, all of those words describe the same biblical office of a shepherd. And so that's what we're looking at here, what, what Paul is, is saying to these men who serve as elders. And as Mike mentioned, the, the series is hitting at a great time as we're considering bringing on three new elders, and we're, we're excited about all the things that are, that are taking place there. My goals for the series, I have several that I would hope that would be accomplished during this time. One, I hope that we would just have a desire for healthy leadership here at Bethany. As we look at what God desires to be true of his elders, we would we look at those things and say, we want that here. That's, that's our heart's desire. We're going to talk a lot about that this morning. Another goal that I would have for this series is just to equip us to evaluate elders. So, okay, here's, here's what the, the biblical office of elder looks like. These are the qualifications for an elder. This is, these are, this is to be the, the lifestyle of an elder. Let's, and and uh, here are the, the people that are elders. Let's, let's evaluate in, in light of what Scripture tells us should be true of, of these men serving in this office. I think that would also help, another goal would be to help those who might aspire to be an elder. You might say, well, I, I desire to at least think about that. I encourage you as you look at this text with us, maybe talk to an elder and say, you know what, I, maybe you're a man in the church who has a desire to shepherd more, and you say, well, you know what, I, I don't know what this looks like, but let me at least, what, what does the process look like, and, and how might God have me to, to shepherd more faithfully here? Another goal would be just conviction. Uh, for those of us who, who are shepherds, if we would look at these things and say, okay, I, I, I desire these things to be more true of me. I recognize that there are weaknesses in my shepherding. And maybe you're, you're new to the church and you hear me talking about elders and shepherds here and you say, well, this, this is a church that must have this down perfect. I mean, everything that, that we're, we're saying here is exactly what I desire shepherds to be. This, this must be a place with, with perfect shepherds. And if, and if you're thinking that, uh, no. Um, these are all things, I think all the, the shepherds here are, are qualified, but I think all the shepherds here would say, I, I aspire to, to live these things out perfectly, but often fail. And so we, we desire to be convicted and continue to grow in our shepherding. And then, and then finally, a, a final goal would be as we look at the qualifications and characteristics of, of elders, that we would say, okay, I may not be called to be an elder, but I want to imitate that, that lifestyle, okay? Uh, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 13 says to, to look at your leaders and, and imitate their faith. And so that's what we would desire to do as well. So if you're able to, if you would stand with me in honor of God, as we read a little bit here from Acts chapter 20, we're not going to read the entire passage this morning, but, but let me start in verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to, the, to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears 
and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. You may be seated. May God be blessed through the the reading and exalted through the reading of his word. Heavenly Father, we do ask in your kindness to us today to open up your word to us. We we pray that you bring about conviction in our hearts. We pray that you give a, a godly desire for shepherds who will be faithful to the task of shepherding. We pray for the, the heartache in our, in our church. We think of the loss of uh, Dave Perry over the, the past week. We think of the, the loss of Mallory and Trevor's little girl. We, we pray just for, for comfort for them, for Kevin and Sarah as they uh, care for them. And we pray that, that we as, as a church would uh, shepherd one another with kindness and with boldness, uh, pointing one another to the all-sufficient work of your son, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. This past Monday, I was invited to be on a, a podcast with my uh, friends, uh, Jason Allegood, who's the, the pastor at Fellowship Bible Church in Peoria, and Gary Gear, who is the, the pastor at Calvary Baptist Bible Church in Peoria. They invited me to, to be on their pa- podcast and talk about another podcast, the, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, which many of you have listened to or listened to parts of. And that podcast we were talking about, if you, if you don't remember, I've mentioned it before, but it's a, a podcast about Mars Hill and, and just kind of the implosion of that organization and, and how a lot of the implosion was caused by, by bad shepherding, by, by poor leadership. And on Monday, as, as we were talking, uh, Gary asked, uh, Jason and I said, you know, what do you think it is? Why, why are Christians so often drawn to, to narcissistic or, or fleshly leaders? Why, why are Christians drawn to, to fleshly leadership? I said, I, you know, I, I'm not sure that we're necessarily drawn to fleshly leadership. I, I think oftentimes Christians are, are drawn to, to effective ministry in terms of, of, of things being accomplished, and we, we desire for, for good things to happen, and we sometimes ignore some warning signs. And it's not that the warning signs aren't there, and it's not that God hasn't given us the warning signs, we, we just ignore them. And, and I was kind of transferred back in time to my very early in my, my pastoral ministry, uh, whenever I was just coming on staff at Bethany Baptist Church, and one staff meeting, uh, Rich uh, sat us down as, as, as the, the pastoral staff, and he began our, our staff meeting by reading from Ezekiel 34. And it was the first time that I'd heard Ezekiel 34 as a pastor, so as a shepherd. And so the, the words of the Lord to the shepherds in Ezekiel 34 just kind of, I, I can still remember just that, that feeling of conviction I felt as the, the Holy Spirit 
revealed areas of my own heart that were potentially being addressed here in this passage. Here's, here's how Ezekiel 34 begins. The, the word of the Lord comes to Ezekiel and says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? But you eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you don't feed the sheep. The weak you've not strengthened. The sick you've not healed. The injured you've not bound up. The strayed you've not brought back. The lost you've not sought. And with force and harshness you've ruled them. And so they, my sheep, were were scattered because there was no shepherd. They became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the, the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. And I can remember Rich reading those words and just feeling this, this sense of conviction and, and, and recognition that my heart can, can be tempted towards wanting others to serve me instead of serving others. And, and just praying that what the Lord speaks against the shepherds of Israel would, would not be able to be said against me. That's a good desire. It's okay for me to want to be a good shepherd, and it's a good desire for a church to want faithful shepherds. It is good for you at Bethany Community Church to desire shepherds who will be faithful, to desire that. In the text this morning, Luke, as he relates what Paul is saying, gives us some of the characteristics of a faithful shepherd based upon Paul's ministry. And and here's kind of the central idea that I want us to think about together this morning. Here's the main idea. It's good to yearn for faithful shepherds of your soul. That is a good thing for you to desire. It's good for you to say, I desire a shepherd who will faithfully love me and care for my soul. And what we're going to do is we look at the text this morning. We're going to look at, at two or three characteristics. I, I have down three. We're going to get probably just to two this morning. Uh, I, I promised some girls some ice cream. Uh, we, we, we're going to look at two characteristics. We'll look at the third characteristic in, uh, next week. Two characteristics of, of faithful shepherds, what it looks like to be, to be faithful here. And we're going to talk about these aspects of, of faithful ministry, what types of faithfulness we're considering So we're going to talk about how they're faithful in serving, they're faithful in teaching, and they're faithful in running the course. These are the types of shepherds that you and I should demand and desire. And so let's look at the first thing here. Number one, let's talk about faithful in serving. Look at the text with me if you would. The elders come to Paul. They're there in Miletus in Western Asia, these Ephesian elders, and he he says to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. And then verse 19 begins with what I think is kind of the essential word in these two verses. He says, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. And so what fullness requires service. You cannot be a faithful shepherd without having a servant's heart. What Paul is saying here is is right in line with what Jesus said in the passage that we looked at three weeks ago. And if you have a desire to be an an elder or a desire to to serve others well or to be a good leader, uh, you should 
uh, take the passage that we read in Matthew chapter 20 and like tattoo it on the inside of your eyelids so that every time you blink, you're seeing. Or when you lay down and, and close your eyes at night, you're, you're seeing Jesus' words. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew 20. Jesus calls his disciples to them. And he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercised authority over them. But, he says in verse 26, it shall not be among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom as a ransom for many. So Gentiles, the world, exercises authority this way in a domineering way, others serving them. But for the person who's going to be a, a shepherd of Christ's flock, what do we do? We are those who, who serve, okay? So if you're going to be a, a shepherd, an elder, you're going to be faithful in serving. We want, as elders, those who are going to be faithful in, in serving. So let's look at a couple characteristics of this type of faithful service, what it looks like. Number one, faithful service we see here is done in, in the context of community. It's done in the context of community. Verse 18, he says, you know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Paul isn't an aloof leader. He doesn't come into a community and, and stand on a stage and, and give his thoughts on things and kind of go backstage and then the next day come and, and speak again. Paul is, is involved in the lives of the people that he ministers to. His gospel ministry is, is characterized here and in, in other places among people. In fact, why doesn't he go to Ephesus and, and meet the elders there? He doesn't go to Ephesus because he knows if he goes to Ephesus, he's going to get distracted. He's going to spend forever there because he loves the people there so much. And so he has to call the elders to come to him. Think about his words in 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he talks about his ministry in Thessalonica, very similar to Ephesus. He says, we were gentle among you. We were like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you'd become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we may not be a, a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. He says, you know, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul as he ministers to people, does so in the context of relationship and community. Maybe some of you kids, some of you guys who are, and girls who are younger than, than sixth grade, maybe, maybe this is a problem in your family. You can tell me if, if it is or not. Uh, maybe, maybe this is a problem in your family. You guys, are, you're trying to leave on Sunday morning, right? And you're, you're walking out the door with mom and dad, and you can see the door. And you know that on this side of the door is a car. You can get in the car and you can go home and you can have lunch. And as, as you guys are walking to the door, what happens? There's your care group leader. Or there's Pastor Daniel or some person that's going to distract mom and dad. And mom and dad, they're at the door and then they turn and they talk to the person. And you're like, oh, so close. There's another 20 minutes until, you know. I can see it on your face sometimes. I apologize sometimes to you guys because it's, it's me. You know. Now, today it's okay. There's ice cream. But sometimes... It's tough, right? It's tough. Let me tell you, those of you who are, who, are, who are kids here, it's a good thing that mom and dad love the community of the church. It's good to have relationships in which we desire to be with one another. And it's essential for those who would be shepherds. 
You know, right now I'm, I'm, I'm talking here in, in the pulpit, and, and this is a very important ministry. It, you know, it's very, in fact, this morning I was talking to Whitney, and it's like, I can't believe, I'm, just, I'm nervous. We've been doing this 14 years, and I still get nervous every Sunday morning, you know, but, but, but it's important. We need to do this. This is essential to the health of the church, to have a, a strong pulpit ministry and proclaim God's word. This is important. But it, it's not important in isolation. In other words, if I just stood up here and, or any elder just stood up and, and taught with no relationship, that's not biblical eldership, is it? I mentioned an article on church size dynamics a few weeks ago, and it talked about a church that's between 400 and 800 people, and as it was talking about how it, it assumed that a church needed to grow beyond that instead of planting or, or whatever, but it says you, know, you need to grow, and the senior pastor or whatever teaching elder needs to be less accessible to, to do individual shepherding and concentrate more on preaching, large group teaching, et cetera, right? And I thought, why at that point, right? Why would you even go into ministry if, if you think it's, it's just about a pulpit? Now, you, you do need to spend the time. A senior pastor, a teaching pastor, needs to spend the time studying God's Word, and, and they, can't do, they can't be involved in, in, in every person's life to the same degree. But, but why would a pastor remove himself from, from shepherding? The, the purpose of ministry is not to have a platform to speak from. The pulpit ministry or the Sunday school ministry, whatever ministry an elder is in, needs to complement the personal discipleship ministry that a man is involved in, not, not replace it. it. It may shock you, but not everyone pays attention all that well on a Sunday morning. I, I know, I know, you all, you do, but some people around you don't pay that close of attention to, 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 to messages sometimes. Or some people, their mind wonders. It's, I know, I know. I don't understand it either. No, I, I totally understand it, right? In other words, this can't be all there is, right? And, and a person who, who just comes in the periphery, sits on a Sunday morning, and, and then is gone with, with no one involved in their life, that, that's, that's a failure either on their part or on an elder's part. That's not what the Christian life is to be. Here's Timothy Whitmer in his book, The Shepherd Leader, puts it this way. He says, it's important to note that particular elders were appointed to exercise their shepherding authority over particular believers in a particular location. This is where real shepherding happens. Every member should have a personal connection with at least one elder. Real sheep know they belong to a shepherd. They're they're named, known, and counted. The elders must not merely know the names of those members, but strive to know them personally. This is what needs to happen. Faithful service by an elder is done in the context of community. The application here, it's good for us to desire shepherd leaders who serve in the context of community. Number two, faithful service. Faithful service is ultimately to the Lord. Paul says here, he says in in verse 19, "I, I lived among you the whole time serving the Lord. Now, that could be a phrase you go over too quickly, but it's very important to notice who the service is to. The service is not determined by the worthiness of the people in the church. That is so important to understand. In other words, a shepherd doesn't get to, to, to look at the people that God has, has entrusted to his care and say, uh, worthy, not worthy, 
worthy of my time, not worthy of my, kind of annoying, not worthy of my time, intimidated by that person. That, that's not how shepherding works, right? Shepherding is, is ultimately to the Lord. It doesn't, the, the worthiness of the person has nothing to do with it. Ultimately, a, a shepherd says, okay, I, I'm serving not these people, but, but the Lord. And a man-centered ministry can be extremely detrimental to elder ministry. First of all, it causes an elder to become very judgmental and say, okay, well, well this person's been kind to me, or this person's not been kind to me, or, or this person, I, I, I want to really um, please them, and so I'm going to spend a lot more time with that. That, that. that can be incredibly detrimental to a ministry. And also, it can cause us to be very man-centered in, in our goals if we think about the people as opposed to how it looks to honor God in our ministry, right? Instead, we want to focus on serving the Lord. As, as Paul says in Colossians, you're, you're serving the Lord Christ. Paul would say in Galatians 1.10, he says, am, am I seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Those, those two things are ultimately going to compete with one another, and you can't do both. The application here is it's, it's good for us to desire shepherd leaders who serve the Lord, not us. As strange as that may sound, right? We want the security of elders who are not basing their ministry on us based upon how well we treat them in any given moment in time, but we want that security like with a, like with a, with a parent or a family member, that, that security of love regardless of what we do. Number three, as we think about faithful service, what, it looks, what faithful servanthood looks like. Number three, faithful service is with humility. Paul, he says, serving the Lord, and then that participle is, is followed by by three other descriptions of that type of, human, of, of that type of service. So here are the, the ways in which he describes his service. The, the first is with humility. He says, serving the Lord with, with all humility. Serving the Lord with all humility. That, that word, even in Paul's day, was not a, a word that was viewed as, as universally positive quality. Some people would look at a, a humble person and, and think that person wasn't as, as dynamic a leader as you might desire. And the same is true in our culture as well. Paul sometimes had to defend his humility, like, for example, to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians. But here, humility describes someone who's without arrogance. Someone has a, a right understanding of, of their position in relationship with, with God. God's a person in charge, and, and the elder says, okay, I'm simply following God's instruction. A humble leader knows that they're limited in at least three ways, right? A humble leader recognizes that they have limited knowledge, they have limited power, and they have limited value. A, a humble leader says, okay, I have limited knowledge. My ability to understand all the, the ins and outs of, of a situation is, is limited. I don't have perfect knowledge of, of any individual's life. I don't have a perfect knowledge of, of even my, my own understanding. Like I, I'm limited in terms of my knowledge. A humble leader says that. A humble leader says, I have limited power. I don't have the ability to, to force anyone to do anything. It's like a parent. A humble parent recognizes, you know, I, I don't have the ability to, to force my children to love the Lord, for example. And so a, a humble leader recognizes, I, I, can do, I can be faithful, but only God has, has the power to, to change hearts and lives. A humble leader recognizes that he has limited value. Says, you know, I'm... I'm I'm important, but I'm not irreplaceable. I just got a new laptop. 
one of the most frustrating things for me about Apple products is how often the cords change, you know? And so I, 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 I buy the Apple ecosystem, and it's like, you know, buy the Apple ecosystem, everything interchangeable, and, but then I have five different cords or something because, you know, well, if you upgrade it all at the same time, they'll match, but, I, you know, who has the finances for that, right? So it's just, you know, plug and play, right? In God's ecosystem, elders are plug and play. They're important, like, like any member of the body, but they're not irreplaceable. If a leadership sets up a system that's dependent upon a certain person or, or a certain person, one certain person in one certain position, we have failed. We've created a man-centered personality cult and not a biblical model of eldership. You know, personally, I hope that the Lord has a long-term plan for me at Bethany Community Church. I, I hope that I, if, unless the Lord returns first, I hope I have a, a long life and, and I'm healthy and, and those sorts of things. But let's say that's not God's plan, right? Let's say that, that this week the Lord called me home. What, what would happen? Well, I, I think people would be sad. You know, elders would get together. Well, that's a shame. <laughs> he was a nice guy. So who's preaching this Sunday? Right? <laughs> and the church would be fine. Count Zizendorf famously said, and, th- and these are words, any of you who aspire to ministry or any type of leadership need, need to really grasp these words. Preach Christ, die, and be forgotten. That's, that's the role of an elder. We're, we're important, but not more important than anyone else, and certainly not irreplaceable. Limited, limited knowledge, limited power, limited value. That's not false modesty, that's biblical humility. Exodus 15, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you've redeemed. You've guided them by the strength to your whole, by your strength to your holy abode. Who's like the Lord? Nobody. The Lord has perfect knowledge. He has infinite knowledge. He has infinite power. He has infinite value. Who's like the Lord? Certainly not an elder, a human shepherd. Only the Lord is like the Lord. And one of the best things that you can desire is a shepherd leader who will serve you with a recognition of how powerless and unimportant they are in many ways. That, that could be your next elder appreciation card. Thank you for showing me how replaceable you are. <laughs> and, the infinite, and seriously, and the infinite value of Jesus Christ. Number four, faithful service is with tears. Paul says his service was with all humility and, and with tears. He served them with, with tears. Now, now what, is, what does that mean? Well, I think he's talking there, based upon what he's about to say, is maybe that the tears that were a result of his own suffering. But also, when we see Paul cry, he has tears for the suffering of his fellow ministers. We see that in verse 34, essentially. And then we also see tears for those whom an elder loves as they suffer. Paul mentions his, his tears in, in several places, and we're not talking about some sort of uh, emotional 
uh, empathy devoid of, of, of reason or, or being led by emotions, but, but we're, talking about, we're talking about empathy born, of, a biblical empathy born of, of valuing other people. He would say in verse 31, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. He mentions his sorrow in Romans 9 when he describes his great sorrow and unceasing anguish as he thinks about those who rejected the gospel. Philippians 3, 18, he says, I've told you of, of many and, and now tell you even with tears of those who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And so as Paul thinks about those who are enemies of the cross of Christ, what does he do? His tears. An elder once told me that he tries to develop some amnesia when he goes home. He said, the, the weight of sorrow that I feel is so overwhelming, I would be worthless, I'd be useless at home if I didn't have some, some, some amnesia. And, and, and I get that sentiment, but, but I, I think the key here is, is that a shepherd says, okay, I have to entrust the sheep to the Lord at night, but, but the burden bearing of the shepherd is, is never ending. And we want shepherds, we desire shepherds who are going to hurt with us. Again, we're not talking about just some, some, uh, some elders going to cry all the time and thank, you know, thanks for crying. We're talking about elders who love us so closely. They're, they're so close to us that they are personally affected by our grief. They're personally affected by our joy. And a church that's going to be healthy is going to do a good job protecting its elders. But that's the type of shepherds we should long for. The application, it's good for us to desire shepherd leaders who serve us with tears. As we come alongside one another, there's, there's sorrow. Then real quickly, number five, faithful service is through trials. Paul says in, in verse 19, he says, again, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and with trials. He talks about the, the trials that happened to him through the plots of the Jews. He models how to be hated. He models how to suffer well. Now, we're going to talk more about, the, we've talked some in the past, we're going to talk more about the suffering that, that Paul endures, but what, what I think is helpful to know here is that as we look to our leaders, we want to see people who can teach us how to be attacked in a godly way and how to, in their workplaces and the schools and the public sphere, to, to maintain a, their integrity as they proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's good for us to desire shepherd leaders who serve as models for us in how to suffer well. So we want faithful shepherds, and we want them to be faithful in serving, but we also, second thing I want us to see, is we want them to be faithful in teaching. We want them to be faithful in teaching. Paul continues to remind the Ephesian elders of his faithfulness, and we see it described in his teaching ministry. I want you to notice four things about this faithful ministry of teaching and what it means. Number one, faithful teaching means bold instruction. He says in verse 20, I, I didn't shrink from declaring to you anything that was, that was profitable and teach you in public and from house to house. So the first thing, notice he didn't shrink. Now, why would a pastor, why would an elder shrink? He's not talking about just kind of shriveling, literally. He's, he's talking about, about stepping back. God's called an elder to, to step forward, and, and this elder is, is stepping back. Now, now, what does that stepping back look like? Well, it might be due to fear 
fear of man, what's going to happen if I, I say hard things. Or it might be just a, an unbelief. The, the elder looks at the hard words of Scripture and says, yeah, I, I don't really believe that, so I'm not going to say it. And Paul says that that's not me. Now, boldness doesn't mean being angry. Boldness doesn't mean being uh, uncharitable. A bold preacher is one who says, look, this is what the Lord says, and my conscience is constrained by the text. As Paul would tell Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. The idea here is that, that a pastor doesn't hold back what they're going to say due to cowardice or unbelief. Number two, number two, faithful teaching means profitable instruction. He says, I didn't shrink back from teaching anything that was, was profitable. So all, of his, all the things that would benefit the, the people to whom he's shepherding, he's going to say. And we'll see the following verse that he has in mind, the gospel here. In a few weeks, we'll talk about how he preaches the whole counsel of God. But oftentimes, elders can be tempted to say true things that are encouraging, but not the true things that are discouraging. And what does Paul say? He says, look, I, I told it to you all. I, I told all of God's words to you. Love compels Paul. That doesn't mean he says every hard truth at every moment of the day. So for example, there's a, a person who needs to, to hear some, maybe there's like five things that a person needs to hear and an elder doesn't say, whoop, I got to be bold. I got to tell it to you. And so here's the, here's the five things that I see biblically wrong with you. That's, that's, not, that's not Paul, right? Paul's saying, look, let's talk about this thing. And if there's other things that are profitable for a person to know, I, I'm, I'm going to talk to them about them, but, but maybe not in, in every every time we get together, right? That's not very, that's not, that's not gentleness in a, in a shepherd. It's not wisdom in a shepherd either. But uh, generally, a shepherd's saying, look, I'm, I'm committed to a long-term relationship with you. And I'm not going to shrink back in the time that we're together from talking to you about the things of the Lord that you need to grasp and understand. Number three, faithful teaching means consistent instruction. It means consistent instruction. Again, this is a long-term ministry. Paul says, I, I didn't shrink from teaching anything that was profitable, declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house. And so the idea of, of public might have been like the Hall of Tyrannus that we talked about before. House to house might have been these, these smaller groups in which he's engaging in discipleship and, and conversation, telling them biblical things about who God is and what his desires for them are. And we'll expand on this in future weeks. And then the, the final thing that I want you to notice here about faithful teaching. Faithful teaching means gospel instruction. Verse 21, he says, I was testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of, of two things. One, repentance towards God, and so this idea of turning from sin, and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is, this is the gospel. We repent and believe, and we've talked often as we've gone through the book of Acts about this gospel message. A person needs to understand they're a sinner, they're walking in rebellion to God, and so they need to repent. They need to recognize that that's wrong, a, a mental recognition that this conduct is wrong and a desire to, to turn from it. And you don't just turn from one sin to another. You turn from self-righteousness and you turn to faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. That's the gospel message. And Paul says, look, elders, you know I was faithful. I was bold. I, I told you hard things. 
I was profitable. I, I told you the things that were most important for you to know and understand. I was consistent in my instruction, and I proclaimed to you over and over again the gospel message. That is the life of a faithful elder, faithfulness in teaching. Oftentimes, I'm, I'm talking with some of my other pastor friends, and, they, and they, my pastor friends talk to me about how much their kids love listening to them. I said, really? Uh, me too. Um, <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> like, you know, I, and some a pastor, or maybe even just other people in the church, like, you know what, my kids just sat around and they just asked me questions and I just bestowed my wisdom on them. I'm like, really? That's awesome. Good for you. Recently, uh, my, my family was sitting around the dinner table and we were, we were eating some, some nuts or something, and, and I, I was eating some pistachios and pulled a pistachio out. And, you know, sometimes the pistachio nuts are just really hard to get out, so I just kind of got it out and, and ate the pistachio. And, and then an, an, pulled up another pistachio, and, and there was just no getting at this nut, you know. And, and sometimes in the past, I've done everything. I, I've smashed them with cups and things like that. And I was like, you know what? Um, it's not worth it. And I thought, I'm going to bestow some wisdom on my children, and so I'm going to tell them the parable of the pistachio. <laughs> so I, I pulled up a pistachio, and I held it in my hands, and I said, children, life is too short to try to get every pistachio nut out of its shell. And I waited for the head nods, <laughs> and instead, Whitney looked at me and said, honey, that's an almond. I don't have that much wisdom. Right? <laughs> I don't, right? What do I have? I have God's word. <laughs> and a faithful, a faithful pastor, is, so that's the parable of the almond, okay? I'm not that bright. I don't have wisdom of, apart from the Lord. And so as, as parents, as shepherds, we say, okay, look, look here's, here's what God's word says. And, and I'm constrained by my conscience to the, the text, the word of God. And, and here's what we need to know. Here's the gospel. Repent of your sins and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and, 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 and do this in humility, recognizing that, that we are of limited value, and that Christ is our great, great treasure. And it's good to yearn for faithful shepherds of our soul. And we'll continue talking about that next week. In the coming weeks, we'll offer some, some more pointed words, in fact, to our elders. But let's just pause here for a moment and prepare, prepare our hearts to meditate on, on the gospel message. Let me pray here for a moment, and then we'll, we'll continue. Father, we are grateful to you for your word, your word that gives us wisdom we do not have. Lord, we would have no idea of how to come into relationship with you. We would have no idea of our need for a relationship with you apart from you divinely intervening and revealing yourself to us. We thank you for your salvation. Help us to prepare our hearts now to, to celebrate that as, as your body. In your son's name we pray, amen.